Welcome to There's a Method to the Madness. My name is Rob Maxwell. I'm an exercise physiologist and personal trainer. I'm the owner of Maxwell's Fitness Programs and have been in business since 1994. I'm here to talk about the real deal of fitness, give you the facts, no silliness, hence the name Method to the Madness. Let me thank our very first original sponsors. Man, I love loyalty. Jonathan and Lynn Gilden of the Gilden Group at Realty Pros. They are simply the best. They mostly focus it in the Ormond Beach area of Volusia County, but they will go all over. And every time I open up social media, there they are selling another house. I'm going to talk about that today, by the way. Metrics matter. And if every time I open up, they're selling houses, I kind of think they're doing something right. They could be reached at 386-451-2412. And I know when I eventually put the house back on the market because it's a little too big for me, I'm going to definitely be using my boys and my girls, the Gildan Group. All right. So let's talk a little bit about measurement. That's uh, what I want to focus on today in today's podcast. If you can measure it, you can manage it. You know, I don't know if any more topic is talked about in the personal trainer certification workshops as much as assessments. I have taught them for the ACSM. Um, I think they're really good to go to, like even for seasoned trainers, because we really forget about basics often. But I remember when I was becoming an instructor for the ACSM workshops, I had to go up to Boston, Massachusetts and do a three-day in-service with seasoned, I guess they were called, well, they were just trainers of trainers. So they were working with the ACSM and the organization to make sure that Everybody that taught their courses was on board with what they wanted them to. And when I say had to, it's kind of funny because, man, it was a nice, you know, completely paid for trip up to Boston and uh, around people who I can gel with because they're fitness people. And it was a beautiful time of year. It was late summer and uh, I was somewhere near Fenway. I mean, it was it was a really fun trip. So I was kidding when I said had to, but great experience. But again, I don't know if any topic at these workshops, and they're usually three days, is any more talked about than assessments. I think the only other one might be scope of practice, which almost 90% of personal trainers that I know violate. And uh, for personal training, that is. So like the scope of practice states that you are working with presumably healthy people with no risk factors or have been given absolute clearance by their physician to exercise with recommendations. So, you know, how many people, how many trainers really do that? And that should be part of the assessment. That's part of our assessment. I mean, I have a little more credentials so I can work with special populations is what we call people that are not presumed to be healthy because we all have something. I mean, Even if you're over 50, that's considered a risk factor. So we all have something. And most people have either a type 2 diabetes or 
high blood pressure, possibly overweight, obese, more than likely 66% of the population is obese. So yeah. So those are all considered to be different uh, ailments or risk factors. And if you really follow the scope of practice by the American College of Sports Medicine personal trainer, it says that the trainer should make sure that they don't have any risk factors. And if they do, they got cleared medically. And how many trainers that you know, and I know some that have gone to various trainers throughout the area, and uh, you know how many of them say, oh, oh, so you have type 2 diabetes. Is your physician well aware you're going to be starting an intensive exercise program? And, you know, if not, I need you to go and get this paper signed and get clearance before you work out. I mean, how many of them are doing that, you know? And quite frankly, legally, that's a negligence issue if they don't. Now, don't get me wrong. Absolutely, they should be exercising. Absolutely. It's probably right there with medication, the best thing they can do. Probably better, right? I just don't want to step on physicians' toes, and that's the whole point of the scope of practice. But we do need to be in contact with the other allied health professionals, and I just see so many trainers not doing that. So that was hammered home, scope of practice, to make sure people are actually following that. And then the second thing is assessment, which kind of goes right along with it. Like, what are you assessing? Since I started years and years ago, like even before I had my own facility and I was a gypsy going from place to place, training people, I still did assessments. I had my little, I can still picture it now, my little uh, gray clipboard that was a clipboard, but you can open it up and put papers in. I love that thing. I need to get a new one of those. You know that? So if you're listening, go out there and buy me one. I mean, come on, it'd be so cool for a Christmas present. I'll put a sticker on it for you. And, you know, I can walk around with it and pretend like it's the old days. It was really cool. I can still picture it. Man, I'm, I'm like going off into a little happy memory here. I had my old-fashioned sticker on it. It was silver gray. It was plastic. I could use it as a clipboard. I kept all my nice little forms in it. I thought it was Mr. Professional. That thing was great. Anyway... I would do an assessment. I would take my trusty little friend, the clipboard in with me to wherever I was going. I had my own set of skin fold calipers and I would do an assessment. It is so important and it gives us such good insurance as a trainer. Like there's such a good feeling to see your clients make progress. And so many times people are just like working out, which is great. And everything kind of gets, not everything, but a lot of places exercise programs, even personal training, especially group personal training, especially boot camps, turn into exercising for the sake of exercising. You might be sitting back going, Rob, so, so what? What's wrong with that? We all need to exercise. That's correct. But when we're really getting a trainer, like, I think that's a good investment, you know? I mean, I, I believe it's a good investment. I think one of the best things we can do for our health and fitness is to hire a personal trainer. And I'm not just saying that because I am one. I'm really, really not. I just do believe that it works. But the reason why I know it works is because I have the data to back it up. So yes, I do believe that we should all be exercising, but I also believe in goals. 
and I believe in assessments, and they can all be done together. But so many training establishments that call themselves professional trainers, they make themselves known by their tricky, unique, kind of what I would call, sorry, stupid exercises that they do that are like really challenging in themselves to do. And I'm like, okay, so what? You're working your lumbar spine doing that. You can also do a hell of a job with your lumbar spine doing bent over rows and good mornings. So what? Basics work. But like, that's how they make their name. All these stupid little videos they make, you know, and it's like, but where's the assessment? Like, that's the difference between a hack and an expert. An expert in the fitness industry is going to be able to assess, determine what's going on, determine what the quote problem is, design goals, and then design a plan that leads towards those goals. Like that is what professional training is all about. And as I say, you know, sometimes I drive my trainers, you know, whoever they may be, you know, not going to name names, but any of them through the years, really nuts because I am a perfectionist. There's no doubt. And I will sit down and I'll make an assessment sheet and I'll be like, man, this is the greatest assessment sheet I've ever made. Like this totally covers anybody that can walk in and then somebody will walk in. I'm like, oh, except for that. So like, that's my point of saying that little funny story is that that's how much I think about assessments. Like I'm constantly trying to find the perfect assessment, but really there isn't a perfect assessment. The perfect assessment is the one for that individual. Like everybody's different, but again, I've always done them. We continue to do them now. So what I believe we should be assessing as a professional trainer is we should always be doing some form of body composition assessment. That could be like if you don't have a lot of equipment and you're a newbie trainer or you would like to assess yourself, whatever, that could be as simple as weighing yourself and then doing girth measurements. Just get out the old tape measure, measure your waist properly. There are ways to do things. Measure your thighs, measure your arms. Those are just examples. Measure any areas you really want. That could be a good place to start. Now, personally, I like to do skin full caliper body composition for a lot of people. I, I say a lot because not everybody. It's not always the most accurate for people who tend to be a bit obese or people that are very um, shy, like very ashamed of their body fat. So then you don't want to be poking and prodding with these calipers everywhere. You're going to want to use something like our Omron or bioelectrical impedance the problem with it is it's not as accurate, but it's definitely more accurate than not doing it at all. But the point is I'll do some form of body composition along with weight. BMI is a joke. I mean, BMI stands for body mass index. It's not made for the athletic or muscular physique. I mean, the doctors, physicians, AMA, you know, they don't probably want to use it either, but they kind of have to because the secure uh, insurance standards say that you need to have a BMI rating, it's the easiest thing for corporate medicine, insurance companies, and all that to measure. They have to put numbers in there, but the bottom line is it isn't accurate. It's height and weight. So that doesn't take into account muscle. So if you look at like bodybuilders or NFL linebackers or even NFL wide receivers or 
National Basketball Association, NBA basketball players, they're all going to be considered obese. And they're some of the finest specimens on earth physique-wise. So it's just silly. It doesn't take into account muscle. The next thing we always want to assess is some form of cardiorespiratory endurance. We want to see how the heart responds to exercise. Now, what we do mostly in the personal training world is we do what's called sub-maximal tests, meaning not maximal, although we can, and I am trained to do it, and I'm okay to do it, but for the most part, we do sub-maximal exercise tests and then use different estimates to figure out different numbers. Some of them could be the three-minute step test. I use that forever. I used that even back in my Florida Corf days when I was working as a PT tech. That's simply where you have a 12-inch box, you have a metronome set at 96, and the person steps for three minutes, and then you get your recovery heartbeat. That's a very good assessment. You know, the cool thing about assessments is you learn things about people besides what you're trying to learn. You might learn that person can't do a three-minute step test. Okay, well, we just assess their cardio. They can't do it, or they can't do it because their knee hurts. Okay. So then we just tested their joints. We're not able to do that. So the cool thing about when we go through a nice script of assessments, we're gathering all kinds of extra information too. And we learn a lot about the client. We learn, do they like to push? Do they not like to push? Do we have to really push them to just do anything? Like we learn a lot in the assessment process. It, it's almost um, unethical to do a workout program without doing an assessment. It really is. It's like you're, you're trying to do things that you have no clue if the person is able to do them. You really don't know much about them mentally or physically or emotionally, and it's just not the right thing to do. So another form of cardio could be a treadmill test, submaximal. Um, it could be what we call the Cooper 1.5 mile run. That's not for most people. We can do the Rockport one mile walk test. That's a really cool one because everybody can walk and you can gather their VO2 max and recovery heart rate from those things. And then whatever we choose, again, you know, everybody needs to do a body comp, everybody needs to do a cardio. Then I like to move into muscular fitness. Now, oftentimes people try to separate muscular strength and muscular endurance from each other. And yes, there is a subtle difference between the two. But ultimately, what the studies show and what my experience tells me is that when somebody's strong, they also have really good muscular endurance. And when they have really good muscular endurance, they're strong. So I like to combine these categories. And this is the one where you have to get really, really tricky. Like this is the one you have to really use your old melon up there. I should say I have to use my melon and go, okay, I just got to think outside the box because not everybody can do some of the tests. If you have a person in their 20s without any injuries, you can do a one rep max on the bench press, a one rep max on the leg press. Those are like the two ones that are used all the time in professional settings like National Football League or baseball or NBA. They assess the bench press. They assess the leg press for upper body strength and leg strength. With those, you can do an estimated 1RM test. So... You don't necessarily have to just do one, which can be very risky. And if you don't know somebody, I would say stupid. You can do like eight reps to failure. And then there's a formula you can use. The lower the reps you use, the more accurate it is going to be. So those are like the biggies. But then you can do like estimated somewhat sub-maximal 
tests by using less weight on different exercises and determining somebody's 10 rep max. We do a lot of that here. We just did that the other day with somebody who started back up after um, not working out for a while. We'll do like an estimated 10 pounds on the hammer chest press because again, you know, we're going to use a hammer chest press instead of a bench press for the majority of people and see how many reps they can get with 10 pounds on each side. And then if they get eight and they get 15 a month later, that's progress. I like to do a seated row for that too. They can sit on the seated row. We'll, I'll just make a very good guesstimate based on what I know. Let's say 50 pounds. How many reps do they do day one? Maybe it's five. Day 15, maybe they're doing like 16 reps. And no, those numbers aren't floated. I mean, that's pretty accurate, probably what somebody's going to do. Because if you measure it, then you are going to manage it because you care. You're like, man, I want them to do good on their assessment. Reflects good on them. It reflects good on me. She's going to manage it. So when you're doing all of these exercises, you're pushing. Because let me tell you, it's been close before. It's been a situation where... You know, somebody's been a little stubborn in their gains, and I know it's reassessments coming up, and I'm like, oh, shit, you know, I don't know. You know, they showed a lot of progress. This isn't going to go well, and they're going to be upset. I'm going to have to, like, you know, talk to them and figure out what we're all doing wrong. So that's happened, and you can avoid that by simply always keeping the assessment in the back of the mind. Not because I'm worried about business. I'm actually not. You know, we're full. We're not even taking people right now. And, you know, this, uh, this isn't a new thing either. I've been full for like a really long time. And I'm not saying that arrogantly at all. It's just simply the truth. But I don't like to see anybody fail. I don't like to feel like what we were doing hasn't helped a whole lot. So it's more about that. And usually people who haven't done it really well beat themselves up. So I don't want to see them do that. So I just want to make sure that I keep my mind where it should be. I'm staying focused. I'm not just doing a boot camp exercise where somebody comes in and I'm blowing them out with calorie burning exercises. It's like, no, you know, you can do that on a, on a exercise bike on your own. I'm trying to get progress in a very critical area. So if you can, if you can measure it, you can manage it. So we keep our eye on it. So always do some form of muscular assessment, strength, endurance assessment. And I always try to incorporate at least an upper body and a lower body and if possible, an upper body pull, a lower body, and a upper body push. You know, those are like the three big areas that will tell me a lot. So, for example, if somebody's in their 20s or whatever and they're athletic and they've been working out, I can do a bench press test followed by a pull-up test followed by a leg press test. Or one that we like to use is a 30-second squat test. How many squats can they do in 30 seconds? That gives us a really good idea. And again, at all points, we're always critiquing form. That's a big part of validity with assessments is you want to make sure you're measuring what you're really supposed to be measuring. So if a person does like really textbook form on day one of the assessment and they only get, say, eight reps or so, and then when you assess them again in five weeks or so and they do really shitty form and they're throwing it around, and they increase it by 300%, well, that's not very valid. You're not measuring the same thing. You're measuring one day with good form and the next day with not good form. And like, these are areas I find to be very interesting. I like, I love looking at the data on these things because man, just this morning I was picking apart 
a study, not a study, but it was in an assessment book by the American College of Sports Medicine. And it should have absolutely been handled more professionally. And I'm reading this grip strength, this dynamometer strength test. And it gave like six different tips on how to do it properly. And at one point, I think it was tip three, it said with a flexed elbow at 90 degrees, squeeze the dynamometer. Like, well, that's true. But then the picture they showed below was the person with their arm completely straight out in front of them. So that's not a flexed elbow. <laughs> it's like you said one thing and did another. It's like professionals should be better than that. So does that affect it? Yeah, because if you do it one way one time on a dynamometer and then the next time you do it a different way, you're going to get a different number. So you always have to make sure that you're doing the, the same way the same time. And that's why it, it's also important that for the most part, when I assess somebody, I need to assess them. And when Ellen or somebody else assesses them, they need to reassess them because we all have our different way of doing things. And it's going to be a little bit different if two people assess. And then finally, I end the assessment with some form of mobility. Now, I've replaced what some people call flexibility with mobility because the reality is flexibility doesn't mean nearly as much as mobility as far as human function goes. And it is also like very subjective. So the classic sit and reach test is an example of flexibility. And, you know, I've seen people go from, say, 14 on the sit and reach test, 14 inches to 18. And then tell me, like, there's no difference in how they feel, which is probably true. And then I've seen people go from 13 on the sit and reach test to 13, like no improvement. And I just don't think, I mean, it's, it's, it's cool. You know, you can see. When I was teaching sports medicine, I would put the sit and reach boxes out in the class and they would all have fun competing against each other. But the reality is I'm not sure that that translates into anything very productive for them. Now, mobility, that is very important. Like, how do we move? Like, what do what does our body do when it's time to do it in unison, when it's time to do it dynamically moving? So I like to test mobility exercises. Now, again... A lot of it can be assessed when we're doing the previous tests. Like step-ups is going to really tell me a lot about somebody's mobility. The Rockport one-mile walk test is going to tell me a lot about their mobility. But I also like to do like an overhead squat test where I can see what their joints do when they're actually going through a squat. Do their knees adduct? A lot of people do. Do their feet pronate? A lot of people do. Can they not keep their chest up in parallel? That's true for a lot of people. I like to look at those things because that's an area we want to correct. Like that's why I say form is everything. That's a big part of it. So when people are doing their exercises, are they make sure that they're maintaining proper posture when they do? And I can see what their natural posture is when they do things like an overhead squat test. And then finally, to wrap this up, what I do afterwards, what you should do is afterwards is set objective goals. I like to use SMART goals, specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, and timely. Set goals. So whatever we came up with, if you did the Rockport one mile in 17 minutes and 30 seconds, well, you know, keep it a SMART goal, meaning objective and timed. Say, let's get under 17 minutes in the next five weeks and no running. In other words, don't cheat to get there. Strength-wise, did... 10 pounds in the chest press 10 times. Okay. In five weeks, let's be able to get it 16 times. 
on the seated row. Did eight reps with 50 pounds. Okay, let's get 15 reps in, say, five, six weeks or whatever. Maybe a squat test. Oh, they did 20 in 30 seconds, which is already pretty good. All right, let's, you know, let's really push it. Let's get close to 30, 28 in 30 seconds. Body composition, they were 27% body fat. Okay, let's try to be under 26% in five weeks. So that's what we do with the assessment. We set SMART goals. If we do that, we really are training professionally. Speaking of professionalism, there is no more professional garage door company in the state of Florida than Overhead Door. And we actually have one here in Daytona Beach and it's owned by Jeff and Zach Hawk. They give the best customer service and the best garage doors. If you need any help, give them a shout at overheaddoordaytona.com.